nice can start to feel like a lie because if it is avoidant and when we have hard things to say to each other at work, they don't just go underground. What we do is we triangulate. We talk to other people about you instead of having that hard conversation, which is explicitly not nice. Hi, and welcome back to the New Rules of Business by Chief. I'm your co-host, Lindsay Kaplan. And I'm Carolyn Childers, and we are so excited to be back. How are you feeling about kicking off season two, Lindsay? Well, I feel like so many topics have been piling up since we took our break. For business leaders, navigating the past few months has been uh, challenging. There's a recession looming. We've got major inflation, the ongoing debate of remote versus hybrid, crazy market swings. Should I keep going? (laughs) Please don't. Please don't. Please stop there. The role of an exec continues to change and evolve. And that's exactly why we launched this podcast, The New Rules of Business. So for all of our new listeners who are just joining us, hello. Carolyn and I are the co-founders of Chief, the private network of the most powerful women leaders. And we started this podcast because we recognize that business is changing very rapidly, and the old rules of how to lead just don't apply anymore. So in each episode, we dive into a thorny challenge that leaders are dealing with today by inviting the world's best business minds, researchers, and academics to dig into the nuances with us. So for the season's opening episode, we're talking about the latest red flag for toxic culture, leaders being nice. Nice? No. Well, it can be a bit of a Trojan horse of toxicity. On the outside, it may look like a gift, but what's hiding underneath could be a culture of yes people or a lack of direct feedback or even disingenuine leadership. Maybe not surprisingly, organizations with women executives could be at risk the most for this kind of toxic niceness due to being subjected to the double bind. This expectation that women leaders need to be tough and assertive like a man in order to be deemed competent, but then are punished for not following gendered expectations of being warm and nurturing. Study after study shows that women leaders who give critical feedback or play hardball to negotiate for a higher salary, are more harshly judged as unlikable than when men do the exact same thing without suffering any blowback. So back to this idea of being too nice and the fact that women executives don't just want to be liked, they need to be liked to continue their career trajectory. And that leaves the power in external hands, relying on other people's validation. I've been meaning to ask you, Linz, do you think I'm nice? Case in point. (laughs) So today, we'll look at the business cost of toxic niceness. And we're so excited to be joined by Sheila Heen, founder at Triad Consulting, a professor at Harvard Law and co-author of the best-selling books, Difficult Conversations, and Thanks for the Feedback. As well as Debbie Goldstein, CEO at Triad Consulting and a lecturer at Harvard Law. Yeah, how nice should we be during this interview? (laughs) (laughs) So nice. Okay. Lindsay, this is like one of those places that I don't think you have uh, any problem. You are so authentic in the way that you go. I I don't think this is your area of of investment. (laughs) I think I could be accused of maybe being a little nicer. Accused or requested? Either or. Well, 
Debbie and Sheila, thank you so much for joining us today. We're really excited about this conversation and having you join us. So happy to be here. Totally delighted. So to start off, I know that you are both negotiation experts, and we'll definitely get into that because that is a very common scenario when dealing with conflict at work, probably the most common place for conflict to really arise. I almost wanted to bring us back to basics a little with this conversation and hear from both of you of what it actually means to you when you hear that somebody is called nice. What does that mean? How do you define that? So I think when we hear the word nice, it has this valence of like meh or vanilla. And I think nice has a close cousin. Her best friend is avoidant, which I think is really troublesome. But I looked it up and the words that come up when you say nice are pleasant, agreeable, and satisfactory. And I just feel like, is there anything less sexy than satisfactory? <laughs> that, that is not what anyone is aiming for with satisfactory. So that's, I just think of like meh. When I hear nice. And Sheila, I'm curious how, how it lands for you. Well, I think that it depends on the speaker. Sometimes it's used as like they are just the nicest person. And they genuinely mean that the person is generous and kind and compassionate. And then other times it shades into this avoidant fake maybe plastic or hiding what they really think and feel. And what they really think and feel comes out behind closed doors. And I think that's the kind of niceness that can both become toxic for you, but also can create a toxic environment. There's a real interesting nuance between the nicest person and saying, oh, they're nice, right? When I hear someone's nice, I'm like, that's all you got? That's it? Okay. Reading between the lines. So how does wanting to be nice manifest itself in the workplace? Because I feel like that could be everything from avoiding a tough conversation to being the boss that remembers everyone's birthday to saying yes to something that maybe you don't have room on your plate to take on. There are so many different ways you can be nice and that shows up in the workplace. Well, I think you put your finger on it. I think nice is a label, and there are so many flavors. There's so many more specific words that we might use instead of nice. And so that's right. If you're thinking that someone's thoughtful, that they remember all the birthdays, or they're warm, that they smile and have conversation with every person that they come across, or they're kind, right? They remember that, you know, this is your favorite chocolate. And so when they see it, they grab you. And I think all of those are really great. It's when it veers to the avoidant, the inability to have a hard conversation, that it becomes really problematic. And the other thing I think about with nice is that nice can start to feel like a lie because if it is avoidant and when we have hard things to say to each other at work, they don't just go underground. What we do is we triangulate. We talk to other people about you instead of having that hard conversation, which is explicitly not nice, right? Talking about someone instead of having a direct conversation with them is one of the least nice things you can do. So nice also sort of becomes kind of a, a fantasy or, a, or a, a lie a little bit. If you're that person that is avoidant and is maybe taking those conversations and having them behind someone's back unintentionally, can that limit your career? Well, I think that the thing that feels confusing about nice is that when it's warmth, 
it's often rewarded. And when you are likable and when people trust you, that can actually be a career enhancer. But the dark side of nice is that if you are someone who doesn't say what they actually think and doesn't speak up, there are two things that can happen. One is it can fray trust because people start to feel like, well, you're you're always nice enough when we have the conversation, but I hear through the grapevine that that's not what you really think or that's not what's really going on. And if there's a gap between what you are saying to other people externally and what you actually think and feel as a leader, that very quickly starts to fray the trust between you. The other thing is that warmth or niceness gets conflated with with weakness. So there's a very interesting and for us negotiation people, troubling study that came out recently from Julia Minson, Francesca Gino, and colleagues at Harvard Kennedy School that took a look at responding to ads on Craigslist, I think it was. And when the response was very warm or nice, the seller was less likely to lower their price than when the response was more clinical or cold and asked for the same discount, they were more likely to lower the price. And so I actually think that that's conflating warmth or niceness with weakness or not being firm on the substance. But those are the signals that people often are reading to try to decide, should I try to push you a little further? Because if you're nice, maybe you're not going to stand firm or insist on what is fair or what you deserve, or what your organization deserves. And I actually think that that's a big mistake. I think that you can be warm and sustain a really good and positive working relationship while being honest, authentic, and standing firm and insisting on what's fair. So how does this typically manifest itself for people? Like, What are the actions that you see when people are not being clear and direct or not advocating for themselves? How does this most typically manifest for people? Well, so one of the things is what Debbie is talking about, which is that we aren't having the conversation directly with each other. But that frustration that we're feeling with each other or those judgments we have about, gosh, I just wish you would, or I just wish you wouldn't, that has to go somewhere. So instead you know, we walk down the hall or pick up the phone or hop on Zoom these days to complain, to vent to someone about it. Like, Ugh, I just give me a few minutes. I just need to vent because, you know, she did it again or he did it again. And I just wish he would understand. He doesn't get that blah, blah, blah. So what happens is that when you create that kind of culture of niceness, what happens is that the organization develops an internal voice of what's said behind closed doors, but never directly or rarely directly. Or if it is direct, it's because I can't hold it in any longer. And then I just blurt out because <laughs> I get so frustrated in a way that actually can be destructive. Um, and so that's part of why psychological safety starts to suffer. Because I suspect you're not being straight with me about what you actually think about my performance or my presentation or the work that I'm sending you, but you're not talking to me about it directly. So I'm hearing about it through the grapevine, or I'm just wondering, why is it that I'm not moving up at the same rate? And I don't understand what's holding me back, but nobody will tell me. I think there's another way that it manifests, which Lindsay, you referred to earlier, 
that niceness often is equated with yes, right? So yes, I can take on that extra task. Yes, I can lead that project. Yes, I can go to that meeting. When the answer is often like, no, as I look at my plate and my to-do list, the correct answer is N-O, no. And yet I to be quote unquote nice, what I do is say yes, and then I push deadlines. I don't do as good of a job as perhaps I should. And I'm both not being nice to myself, but I'm also actually not caring for the team or the project. I'd love to dig into the way that gender shows up as we talk about nice and the way I think that women are held to a different standard when it comes to being nice in the workplace and the kind of double bind that they face if they're too nice or if they're not nice. So I do think that women can be prone to this even more than men and partly due to the way that many of us think about what being a quote unquote team player means. I'll say maybe more so for men than for women, men see I need to deliver for the team as I need to deliver the results I'm responsible for. And that means I have to prioritize the tasks that are most important for the team to do and not do the other ones. And I think that other people, and maybe more so women than men, think being a team player means just taking it all in, absorbing what has to be done and doing the tasks that nobody else is paying attention to or nobody else has time to do. And so I need to both deliver what I'm responsible for and fill in all the cracks. Like the birthdays? The birthdays and the cupcakes. My team knows. They're like, Lindsay will never remember my birthday. But I will <laughs> I will be there to sing it if somebody reminds me. But I, I am terrible at those birthdays. She'll even put on a costume as she does it. She'll be that I person. Will. <laughs> but someone um, needs to remind me to do it. It's all important. The extras are important of somebody feeling, you know, valued and seen within a company and being the sounding board and doing those extra conversations, making sure people are aligned. It's all important. And I think, how do you find the right way of creating a team dynamic that it it doesn't get undervalued, some of this extra work? How do you overcome that? Because it's needed. It's an important piece of the work. Absolutely. And we do need that. And we need the people who are seeing, like, I wonder how they're doing. They looked a little bit off when, and I could see their face on the Zoom meeting. And I wonder if we need to check in with him or her or them because I heard that they just went through something or that they're, you know, recovering from a sickness or whatever. I think that's all really, really important. It's a matter of how, to your point, I think, Carolyn, how it's coded. Because the other thing about the word nice is you rarely hear men described as nice. Like it it often just the word feels affiliated to women. Should we abolish the word nice? Should we just get rid of the word nice, train ourselves to not use it, and lean on, oh, this person is empathetic, warm, kind, listens well. Should we get rid of nice? I would. I once dated a stand-up comedian who said that about the word interesting. He was like, interesting is such an umbrella term that you don't know if you actually think it's interesting or if you're being avoidant and saying like that really sucks. And I think nice is very, very similar. It's so unclear what we mean when we say it, even the tone and that, that we're using. It's hard to know what we mean. And so I would prefer us just to unpack the word to say what we mean. 
If they're being warm, warm. If they're being generous, generous. If they're being avoidant, let's call that too. But I, I'm with you, Lindsay. I think nice is – I like the sentiment of it, the sentiment of kindness and generosity and relationship-focused and caring. Like, yes, those are all great things in the workplace and in our personal lives. But I think the the word has sort of been co-opted in a way that's unhelpful. So I would, I would be on the abolish nice bandwagon. Listen, nice is a four-letter word. So it is, it's kicked out of the podcast moving forward. There you go. Nice is like fine. Fine is never fine. <laughs> right? So Sheila, you, I, it looks like you might have a different sense of it. So I'm, I'm curious. And I'm just appreciating the conversation. And I'm, I'm also thinking about the fact that nice is used the way that polite is used to indicate a sort of fakeness and not having the authentic conversation. So I think being much more specific about the what we genuinely appreciate about someone, that kindness, empathy, openness. The big secret, by the way, is that you can be more direct as long as you are also more open. Here's what I'm thinking. Say more. Look, I could be totally wrong. So, you know, I'm open to like, what am I not understanding about what's going on? But here's what I'm noticing. Here's what I'm worried about. If I can say that not as, here's the truth, which is that you need to get your act together and start paying attention to X, Y, and Z, but instead, look, I'm noticing some things and I'm worried about them, but help me understand what you can see from where you sit. Those are authentic conversations and they're also very open conversations and they give me a ton of room to be direct and to speak up while being warm and open. It also... That model that you just offered, Sheila, also is the perfect model to offer psychological safety, right? Because I have a client who literally just tried to make a mantra, good vibes only. And I was like, you cannot do that. You cannot say that we're only allowing good vibes because that doesn't leave any room for the inevitable frustrations, irritation, pushback, disagreement, bad vibes. Like those are all part of our working lives. And if you don't offer a space where you're offering a sense of what you believe and you are demonstrating openness, which you modeled so perfectly, Sheila, that's what offers you psychological safety. When we just privilege nice and goodness and positivity, you're quashing the ability to hear what's really in people's internal voices, which is what psychological safety is really predicated on. I think any mantra that has the word only in it, it's probably not the right mantra. <laughs> we got rid of that um, one. Yes. <laughs> they moved on. Um, I do want to just like the giving direct feedback or being direct with openness is such a good like tactical takeaway of like how do you ensure that there still is kindness even when you're trying to you know have some of these tougher conversations are there other just like best practices or tips that you all have seen of how do you actually add kindness into these harder moments rather than avoiding them so the first thing i would say tactically is that it's the negotiation you have with yourself to shift your mindset about what is the nicest or kindest thing. So if I have tough feedback for you, Carolyn, and I come into that conversation thinking, I'm about to devastate her. This is pretty cruel, what I'm about to say. This may damage our relationship. This is going to be really hard. I don't want to do it. Either I'm going to suck at it, like I'm not going to be good, <laughs> I'm not going to be thoughtful or um, or clear about what I'm saying, or I'm going to avoid it. 
Well, and your identity, it starts to challenge your identity, Debbie, because you're like, I'm not the kind of person who hurts people's feelings and devastates people. That's right. Kills their motivation. So obviously, I can't have this conversation. That's right. If I can shift my mindset, like actually change the way that I'm thinking about what this feedback is and means, if I'm thinking, this is something that Carolyn doesn't know about herself, and so I'm going to help her by offering some insight into something she might not be aware of. She's having this impact that because none of us are aware of the impacts we're having, she's she's unaware of. So I'm going to offer this to her as a friend, as a colleague, as someone who cares deeply about her and her development. I'm going to have a much different conversation if that's my mindset. And Debbie, are there ways that you can start that conversation? Any tips? So you can go in with that mindset, but to frame that conversation, do you have any suggestions on how to create that lead-in? Yeah, I might actually be super transparent about my intentions in the conversation. Say, I, I want to offer you some feedback, some observations I have. First of all, is it a good time? <laughs> because <laughs> checking in, because sometimes it's not a good time. And if you're not able for it, just because it's a good time for me, I'm centering my comfort and time, not yours. So I want to check if it's a good time. Um, and presuming that the response is, yeah, yeah, it's a fine time. I might say explicitly, I want to offer this to you. It might be hard to hear, but I really am offering this in the spirit of helping you and supporting you. And I'm so happy to hear pushback or your thoughts and then to problem solve together because I see the sky is the limit for you and I worry that this could be a limitation or I worry that you're having an impact that you might not be aware of. So I'm just very transparent about why I'm doing it and it's not to be punitive and it's not to be all-knowing. It's really just an offer and they can choose to accept it or not. I'll just build on what Debbie has offered because I think it, the mindset can both help you be in alignment with who you are and who you want to be in the relationship, but it also does a second thing, which is it gives you a place from which to offer honest coaching. And it ties into the three kinds of feedback that we all need in order to learn and grow. So the three kinds of feedback, the easy way to remember them is ACE, A-C-E. The first is appreciation. I see you, I get you, you matter, I notice how hard you're working, I notice you know, what you did that made this successful. And in nice cultures, there's a ton of appreciation. It's not always experienced as sincere, especially when it's super general, like, hey, great job, guys, you are fabulous. If it is very general and cursory, it becomes more like a greeting. <laughs> Good morning. You're so awesome to be here at work today. Um, and so... In order to be authentic, appreciation needs to be specific and it needs to be genuine. In nice cultures, often there's a lot of appreciation, but there's not, it's not necessarily sincere or experienced sincerely. The second kind of feedback, though, is coaching. And coaching is all about what could I improve or what could we improve on our team? What is not working as well as it might? And often we withhold coaching because we don't want to hurt feelings. And, and the mindset that Debbie's talking about, I think, helps us to open doors to have more coaching conversations. Because coaching, by the way, is the kind of feedback that people wish they got more of. The third kind of feedback, the E, is evaluation. Where do I stand? How am I doing? Am I on track? Should I throw my hat in the ring for this promotion? Or is what people are saying behind closed doors 
so critical and I just don't know it that I'd be wasting my time or humiliating myself. Evaluation tends to be the hardest, but it's also what we tend to pull when we want to be nice because we hesitate to let people know, like, look, you're just not even in the running. And uh, by the way, I'm not telling you why. I'm not telling you what gaps you have. So we need to provide all three kinds of feedback to other people as leaders, but also we need all three kinds ourselves. We have a mailbag from everyone who's ever, we've got a whole host of letters, feedback, get ready. The next half hour, we're going to read them out loud. Love it. (laughs) Bring it. Bring it on. We'd love to answer mail. I'm just shocked. I thought as you got senior, you had all the answers. So this is all, you know, you were perfect. You had all the answers. Breaking news. We still have growth to do ourselves. Just kidding. (laughs) Also, I want to hear, Lindsay, more about the mailbag because my guess is that that mailbag is very representative of the bag of feedback that is being withheld from us as leaders, which is that it's full of either appreciation, that's nice, um, it's encouraging, particularly it'll hedge against burnout, but it's also filled with evaluation. This is either the best podcast and the best organization I've ever worked with, or this is a disaster. You guys don't know what you're doing. I'm upset that fill in the blank. What I suspect there's very little of in that mailbag is coaching that would actually be useful to you. And that's partly because for coaching to be useful to you, it needs to happen in conversation. Even if someone is making a suggestion, you don't know what in the world they're talking about. So it takes a conversation to unpack, oh, that's interesting. How would we do that? Or let me say a little bit about why we haven't done that in the past, because we have talked about it. But maybe you have a fresh take on it. That would be really interesting to hear. And that's what would be valuable in that mailbag, I suspect. But you guys feel free to correct me. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, We've been talking a lot about one-on-one interactions in particular, but this also manifests itself as you think about like the broader team and org. And I'm curious if there are red flags that you see in bigger groups that show that the niceness that can create toxicity is happening. And if there are specific actions or uh, ways of warding that off that you would point people to of like, when you're in the big meeting, how do you make sure that the dissenting voice will show up? Oh, you have to invite it. So first of all, you can't make sure because people are prone to speak up in a large organization or not in a group setting. So I think one is to offer modalities that offer people opportunity. It's been one of the silver linings of Zoom I have found is that people who might not be prone to raise their hand and speak in a large group will put something in the chat and their voices are talented and innovative and brilliant. And so creating space for those voices. The other thing is switching the conversation you're asking. So if you are asking, you know, are are any questions, any, any thoughts or questions, people are like, oh, what you want is agreement and some appreciation and maybe a question that will feel like a supportive question. If you flip the question you're asking to, why shouldn't we do this? There are a lot of reasons why this would not go well. Give me five. So that you're explicitly switching what you're asking for is the pushback, is the why shouldn't we? I have started to do that on some of the boards that I'm on and definitely do that in my coaching. And it has really changed the quality 
of the answers that you're getting so that you don't just get groupthink. And it creates it from an invitation, if you're brave enough to do it, to a, this is what I'm expecting from you. I'm expecting you to play devil's advocate. I'm expecting you to offer a different point of view. And I think that helps. It's inviting, help us out by helping us see what we're missing. What are we missing here rather than, so does that make sense? Where the correct answer is clearly, yes, of course that makes sense. Even though there are five reasons it's not going to work. If you flip the question to, you're basically saying, your role as a team member is to be helpful, and what you can do to be helpful right now is to point out what we don't see or what the objections are going to be. Yeah, along with banishing nice, we need to banish, does that make sense? That phrase, I just, every time I hear it, it makes my just hair on the back of my neck go up. Because the only answer is yes. And if the answer is no, then you are the idiot. So yeah, let's banish it. I'm guilty of saying that a lot. I'm going to start saying, challenge me on it, people. Challenge me. So let's recap. What are the types of people that could be most susceptible to being nice in a way that breeds toxicity? And what are some common red flags that you might have a psychologically unsafe workplace? It's a two-parter. So one of the red flags that we listen for is to what extent are people having difficult conversations with each other? If you are having difficult conversations and worried about those conversations, that actually is a good sign. It tells us that you care a lot about what you're doing together, that it matters to you to do the best job possible, um, that you're passionate and dedicated and hardworking and smart and have a learning mindset. The second thing it tells us is that you care a lot about the people you're doing it with and that damaging those relationships matters to you and that you just haven't yet found the right stance to invite authentic conversations about what we're each actually thinking and worried about with an orientation to, okay, then what might we each change? What are we each contributing to that problem? And what might we each change that would get us a different outcome or would improve or strengthen our collaboration? If we can do that, then we're opening up possibilities for having direct conversations. So what happens is you end up having more difficult conversations, but you actually are catching things earlier in the process before they've festered so that each of them is less of a big deal over time in the team. It's just the way that we operate together day in and day out. There's one thing that has just been like, in my mind since we talked about it. And it was on the topic of saying no. And Debbie, you specifically said like, a good no is like one of the kindest things that you can do. And all I have been able to think about since you said it is like, how does somebody do a good no? Like, it is honestly one of the hardest things that I do. Like, I really struggle to say no. I actually do the worst thing. I avoid saying anything if it's going to be a no. Um, It's the worst. Well, So, Carolyn, you and I are in good company on this one. It's something that I think a lot about because of my own affliction, um, my own love of the word yes, and deep discomfort with no. And so I'll do the same thing. I'll either say yes to something that I shouldn't or I will avoid. So I have many emails sitting waiting for my response. The way that I have been thinking about it is to really be thoughtful about the opportunity cost of a yes, right? So when you say yes to something, you're actually saying no to all of the other things 
that you could be doing with that time, with that moment. And so you're not saying no. You're actually saying no maybe to yourself and to all of the other helpful, value-added things you could do. And so for me, that has really shifted my own ability to just get more comfortable that no and setting a good boundary is both good for me and it's also great modeling. I mean, I've had recent experiences where I have actually been very explicit because I it's part of my identity to be helpful and kind. So I'll be explicit with the client. It is hard for me to say no, but here is why I'm saying no. I'm saying no because if I took this on, I would not be able to devote my 100% attention, which is how I like to do everything. And so I'm saying no because I care so deeply about the relationship. The response is like, oh my God, thank you for setting that boundary. Thank you for being so clear. You know, that this means we want to work with you even more. So let's check in when it's a good time. And I'm like, no, I said no forever. <laughs> For me, just being super clear that a yes isn't just the yes, it's the hidden no. It's the opportunity cost of the no to everything else has really shifted it for me. So I offer that in case. Yeah, I'll, I'll be curious, Carol. I'll check it. I'll send you an email that you won't respond to in three for three weeks. <laughs> Unless it's a yes, and then she'll get back to you immediately. Immediately. <laughs> My team knows sometimes code for no is I will just write back dot, 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 which means, uh... No, and it's an inside joke. I hope it's an inside joke now where they're like, uh-oh, Lindsay gave me the dot, 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 which is basically like, okay, go on, but I'm leaning no, but but open. Okay, they're giving me the look that I shouldn't be doing dot, dot, dots. <laughs> that they're too nice to tell you directly. <laughs> they're too nice. So is there anything that you want to cover that we didn't dig into yet? The one thing that I thought of saying earlier that I just want to mention is that telepathy is not a good communication strategy. And so if you need something, if you want to tell someone something, you have to have the courage to have the conversation. You can do it with care and kindness and niceness, but we're banning niceness. Um, but but you you cannot get your own needs met. You cannot move forward if you're not having those conversations. So it's just having the courage to know that people can't read your mind and we have to engage. We have to have the conversation. Great. Sheila and Debbie, thank you so much for joining us. We will be banning the word nice from the chief office as soon as we get off the line. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. This is fun. Thank you so much. Yeah. Did we have a nice time? Can you say nice time? I had a great time. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Amazing. Exhilarating. It's now I'm going to be thinking about that all the time. I'm going to be like, God, the word nice. That was Debbie Goldstein, CEO of Triad Consulting and a lecturer at Harvard Law School and Harvard Graduate School of Education, as well as Sheila Heen, founder at Triad Consulting and an author and professor at Harvard Law. Carolyn, I'm curious, have you ever felt like you've fallen into this too nice trap? Well, I think I'm definitely guilty of using the feedback sandwich, which I think we all know is actually called something uh -huh. else, you uh -huh. know, the more explicit term. Keep it clean. <laughs> For those that are unfamiliar with it, it's the concept of sandwiching criticism between compliments. And while it's definitely a nice way of delivering feedback, you run the risk of kind of massaging the edges so much that the feedback isn't actually clear. 
And for people early in their careers, it could be really tough to figure out how to communicate negative feedback that isn't perfectly carefully constructed so it lands well. And then you can run the risk of not delivering the feedback altogether, which can be super harmful to the individual and the team's growth. And I totally agree with shifting the narrative internally, where leaders really need to reframe a conversation so it's not devastating for the individual, but actually helpful, and that that will help the message come out that way. The best opener is a really direct opener. And as Brene Brown would say, kind is clear. Yeah, I don't think I struggle with being direct about my feedback, but I really liked how Debbie suggested an opening line of asking if now is a good time for receiving the feedback. Just because it's a good time for me to give it doesn't mean somebody's actually in the mood to hear it. There are so many great nuggets of wisdom today. So if our listeners really want to delve into this topic more, I would highly recommend checking out Sheila's books, Difficult Conversations, and Thanks for the Feedback. Because even beyond this frame of being nice, they offer up some really valuable advice when it comes to confrontation and conflict and really dealing with people. So Carolyn, now it's my turn. Do you think I'm nice? Lindsay, I think you are authentic. (laughs) And just like we said in this interview, we should use clearer words to say what we really mean. So from here on out, we're banning nice. No more nice guy. (laughs) Nice gal. That's all for this episode of The New Rules of Business by Chief. Don't miss out on all of our Chief content. You can get more podcast episodes by following this show on your favorite podcast app. And if you're more of a social media person, find us and join the conversation on LinkedIn. But if you're ready to up the ante, and if you're thinking about becoming a member of the Chief Network, head to our website, chief.com, where you can apply. As a member, you'll be connected with the most powerful network of executive women across the country. That's C-H-I-E-F dot com, chief.com. Lindsay made me buy that URL when we were broke, but I did it anyway. (laughs) And aren't you glad you did? Can we also get chief.biz? Thanks, Sharon Yee, Courtney Conley, Katrina Conan and Rial, Blaine Edens at Chief, and to our production team, Pod People, Rachel King, Matt Sav, Amy Machado, Mary Dew, Gina Moravec, Hannah Pedersen, Madison Lesby, and Jason Mack. Our music is by Colin Hatch. I'm Lindsay Kaplan. And I'm Carolyn Childers. Thanks for listening.